All right. We made it. We made it to the end of Hebrews. Some of you might be saying, wait, there's one more chapter. Well, I'll explain. <laughs> we made it uh, to the end of our series through Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 25 through 29. Please pay attention to the reading of God's holy word. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you how, for how faithful you have been to be with us, to lead us and guide us through this long study of Hebrews. We ask, God, that as we wrap this up today, that we would look forward in faith, that we would look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we would continue to do that, God, that you would continue to work. So God, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts this morning to receive what you would have for us from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is that time of year again, time for graduation speeches. You see me standing up here in a robe and you're probably like, what is he talking about? But graduation speeches, estimates that there are over 27,000 high schools uh, in this nation, over 5,000 colleges and universities. Between all the guest speakers and the valedictorian speeches, that's a lot of words being spoken. A lot of attempts to motivate people to tell them how great they are. Some of these speeches, maybe you've even heard them in the last couple of weeks, some of these speeches are pretty good, right? Some of them are pretty not good. The most common refrains from these valedictorian speeches are, we're going to change the world. There's nothing we can't do if we put our minds to it. Look out world, here comes the class of 2022 or whatever year it is, right? I think these speeches often reflect youthful optimism about the ways of the world and using the wisdom of the world. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that young people don't have anything to offer to the world. Many of us in this room who have been around for a while, we've been that young person, right? And we certainly at that stage didn't want to be told that we were naive or that we were wearing rose-colored glasses, but there is a realism with which we must approach life in this world, and the wisdom of God must guide that approach. In plain language, there are two messages. There are two voices, if you will. There is the voice of wisdom that comes from God, and there is the voice of folly that comes from the world. 
Our question is, to which one are we going to listen? This has been a front burner issue all throughout Hebrews. And we especially need to ask it today as we wrap it up this morning. Remember, though we live in a very different time and place than this original audience, we are still faced today with similar temptations and with the pressure from the world around us to deny Jesus and to go back to the old way of doing things. That is a very real temptation in our day, just as it was for them. Now, there's one more important feature of graduation speeches. There's almost always this emphasis on where we've been, right? Looking back where we've been and looking forward to where we're going. So we're going to do a little bit of that this morning. I want to recap where we've been. We're going to take a brief summary of the last year and explain to you why are we ending Hebrews at the end of chapter 12 and not at the end of chapter 13. Well, last summer in preparation for doing beginning Hebrews in the fall, we did a sermon series on prophet, priest, and king. We looked at how Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. We looked at two Old Testament passages that for each one of those, and then we looked at a New Testament passage to see how Jesus fulfilled those. And then we took a passage that showed how we as Christians in the church today fulfill those different types of roles as Christ sends us out to minister in the world. So there's a big emphasis in our passage today on Jesus being prophet, priest, and king. And it's been, again, a huge emphasis in Hebrews. Then in the fall, after we finished prophet, priest, and king, we did a four-week series on shepherding. So we talked about what it means uh, for elders to shepherd uh, the congregation, looking to Jesus as our chief shepherd. And so we actually, in that series, we preached Hebrews 13, 1 through 19. Uh, If you're not yet on the page in your Bible that has Hebrews 13, 17, Uh, You can turn there. That was a very key verse. I want to remind you all, Living Stone Church, that this applies to James now. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. My challenge to you is to bless James this summer with a groan-free summer, okay? It'll be to no advantage to you if James is groaning. I don't want to come back in September and walk in and James is like, oh, it's been so hard. All right, little joking there, but, but seriously, don't make it groaning for him. Um, so then after that series, the first Sunday in October, we began our series in Hebrews and we started the Hebrew series in Hebrews 13, starting in verse 20. We looked at this glorious benediction, which James is going to give in a little bit, his first official benediction as an ordained minister. And then we looked at the final greetings there, that last paragraph, which is really the only place we get any details of who the author of Hebrews may have been or who this audience may have been. So we kind of started at the end because we wanted to fill in those details. Then we went back to chapter one and we started in the beginning and we worked our way slowly through this letter. And I want you to flip back with me to Hebrews chapter one. We emphasize how Jesus is our prophet, our priest and our king and how he is superior and and better. We use that word all throughout Hebrews. Jesus is better. That's really been our theme. He's better than all of the things that people had previously relied upon or looked to for hope. 
Now look here at these prophet, priest, and king elements. Verse 1 and 2. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. God has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is our prophet. Look down to verse 3. The, kind of the end of verse 3. After making purification for sins, which is going to be, which was a huge theme in Hebrews, right? Jesus as our great high priest. So there's this emphasis right in the beginning. Jesus made purification for sins. He is our priest. Then what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is reigning in heaven as our king right now as we speak. So Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and king. This is this incredible intro to this whole letter about the superiority of Jesus. And now you can flip back to our passage for today to chapter 12. Now we come to this parallel conclusion. I made the argument when we started Hebrews that chapter 13, and and most scholars would kind of agree with this, that chapter 13 is kind of like a PS that is tacked on to the end of the letter. It doesn't mean that it's any less inspired. Nobody came in and added it later. But the author makes his his main argument from chapter 1-1 through chapter 12-29, and he bookends these sections with this emphasis on who Jesus is as our prophet, priest, and king. And then he kind of adds on these like final greetings and and final, final exhortations that he gives. So to tie all that up, the sermon title for this morning, which is the longest sermon title you may have ever heard. Uh, James and I were laughing this morning. He was or, uh, laughing this week. He was sitting at the computer and I, he was finishing up the worship guide. I said, all right, I got it. You ready for this longest sermon title ever? And we were joking that this is like a title to one of those Puritan books, right? That is like, you know, on the, on the cover of the book, it actually just has like three or four words, but then you open it up and it's like four pages of sermon title right? or of, of book title. Okay. So sermon title is finish strong by opening our ears, hearts, and eyes to Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king. And this emphasizes the where we're going part of the equation. So as we seek to finish strong, we've, we've titled all of our sermons the last four weeks. They've started with the phrase, finish strong, and we've looked at a bunch of different things. As we seek to finish this Hebrew series strong, as I seek to finish strong before my sabbatical, as James has finished seminary strong, as we have a, as a congregation have, have finished strong here, and as we've talked about, a lot of us are, have connections with people who are finishing up the school year and heading into summer. We want to finish things well, right? We want to finish strong. And as we think about those immediate things, we also want to look big picture, right? We want to finish the race of the Christian life. We want to finish this marathon life, this marathon race of life strong. So it's not just this immediate like, oh, I get done today and then I'm on sabbatical and I'm just, I'm just checked out, right? I'm done. No, I'm, I'm still a Christian and I'm still running this race. And whatever stage we're in, we're always, until Christ returns or takes us home, there's always this emphasis on, on looking forward and continuing to run the race. So as we seek to finish strong, then let us hear with open ears. Let us believe with open hearts and let us see with open eyes. Our passage challenges us to do all three of these things. So first, let us hear with open ears the voice of Jesus, our prophet. 
We begin here in verse 25 with the fifth and final warning against apostasy. This has been a major theme throughout Hebrews. There have been many different warnings against turning away from Christ, against apostasy. Here, this final one says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Well, who is speaking? God is speaking by his son, as we saw in 1-1, right? That's been the whole emphasis. God has spoken by his son. Do not refuse him who is speaking. And this is not a new warning in the New Testament. When Jesus' disciples asked him what would be the sign of his coming again in Matthew 24, Jesus said, see, same word that's used here, see to it, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will lead many astray. Jesus essentially said to his followers, don't listen to other voices. Keep your ears open so that you will hear the voice of your good shepherd. Go read John chapter 10. That's the whole emphasis in that chapter. Listen to the voice of the shepherd, not to these other voices. In the second sentence in verse 25, we see another of our author's beloved lesser to greater than arguments. He uses these throughout Hebrews. He says here, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Paul uses this term for the same term for reject to refer to those who turn away from the truth. It is a temptation that is especially great when we listen to other voices. Those other voices are trying to get us to turn away from the truth. We need to not reject the one who is speaking. We need to listen to him so that we don't turn away, so that we don't refuse him and reject him. And then we get to this description in verse 26 of God's voice shaking the earth, which ties back to the terrifying scene that we saw last week in verses 18 through 21, this picture of Mount Sinai, this this judgment, this fire, this smoke, darkness. So we see that, we're told in 26, at that time his voice shook the earth, again referring to the scene at Sinai. Then the phrase, but now he has promised. So there's this turn, right? These things happen, but now he has promised. And this is followed by a quote from Haggai chapter 2. Two different places in that chapter this, these words occur. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. In Haggai, this is a picture of both God's rule over the nations as the glories of the nations come in to build the temple. And then it is a picture of this future judgment as God promises that he will judge the kingdoms of the earth. Later, Jewish rabbis would also point to this passage in Haggai and talk about the messianic expectations that were tied to that passage as, as Zerubbabel, who is a descendant of David and, and Jesus, uh, is promised that he will, he will be the king, he will wear the signet ring. So there are these future messianic hopes that are anticipated that God will fulfill these promises. And then as we see from our author's explanation in verse 27, yet once more, he explains what this means. He says that it points to a shaking and a removing of some things though, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. So there are many voices out there, literally and figuratively. The, this world promises us all kinds of security. Any number of things that will supposedly keep us from being 
shaken, right? These, these things in the world that supposedly will stop us from, from experiencing these, these things that will shake us. And I want to ask, how is that working out, right? How are those things that the world offers working out at keeping us from being shaken? I don't think they're working very well. And that should lead us to ask, are we listening to the voice of Jesus? Again, that's been the challenge since Hebrews 1.1. God has spoken to us in these last days by his son. Are we listening? So let us hear with open ears the voice of Jesus, our prophet. Second, let us believe with open hearts and worship Jesus, our priest. In verses 28 and 29, we are called to have gratitude and to reverent, awe-filled worship because God is a consuming fire. This language of God being a consuming fire comes from Deuteronomy chapter 4. Moses told the people how God was not allowing him to cross over into the promised land, but that they would cross over. And he told them to be careful when they did not to forget the covenant that God made with them. And then told them not to make any carved images. For, he said, the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Our God is a faithful covenant-keeping God, but he is also a jealous God. He will not tolerate rivals for our allegiance, whether they be outward idols made with human hands or the inward idols that we make in our own hearts. And the good news for us on this side of the cross which the author of Hebrews has gone to great lengths to argue, is that the fire and the wrath of God against sin that was yearly poured out on these animal sacrifices, but obviously never fully atoned for, that fire and wrath has now been poured out on Jesus, our great high priest. So what should our worship look like then? Our author actually highlights this in chapter 13, verse 15. He says, through him then, Jesus... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. God wants our hearts. He wants sacrificial praise. He wants lips that acknowledge his name. So we ought to ask ourselves then, what does our worship look like? Are we just going through the motions as we gather week in and week out? Are we approaching God with ungrateful hearts? There are two approaches to worship, just as there are two voices to listen to. So let us believe with open hearts and worship Jesus, our priest, with gratitude for who he is and what he has done for us. Third, let us see with open eyes Jesus, our king, and his unshakable kingdom. Verse 28 in the ESV says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Some other translations bring out the meaning of this, I think, maybe a little more clearly. One example is, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, I think that brings out this, it actually brings out the present tense and kind of the ongoing nature of this. Receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken is not a one-time event. I think in the ESV, we can read it. Let us be grateful for receiving. It can kind of sound like, oh, we, this is something that happened, right? When we became a Christian, we received this kingdom that cannot be shaken. But really the sense is, therefore, since we are receiving, we are constantly receiving, constantly in the process of receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken. So it's 
It's present, but it's also future, right? We need to look to the future. We need to realize that we are currently receiving that kingdom and we will receive that kingdom. So just as there are two opposing voices and two opposing approaches to worship, so there are two opposing kingdoms. We saw this last week in the contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. It was the contrast between the Old Testament law and the New Covenant. Uh, We also looked at the kind of the story of redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation. We saw the heavenly Jerusalem contrasted with Babel and Babylon. So all from very beginning in Genesis, and then we see that contrast come out in Revelation. We have the heavenly Jerusalem that the people are looking forward to, and then there's this earthly place, this earthly city of Babylon that is at war with God and his people. So that's been the story of human history, these two kingdoms being at war. And the people of God have been promised victory and a kingdom. But when we look around us, what do we see? Does it look like we are part of an unshakable kingdom? Most days it doesn't, does it? We see the utter chaos in the world around us. The world is shaking everywhere. There's war, there's disease, there's violence in our streets, violence in our schools. Where is this unshakable kingdom that we are supposedly receiving? I love the, I didn't didn't prepare to, to share this, but as we were singing, is he worthy? I love that opening verse. We ask, do we feel the world is broken? And we say, yes, we do, right? Do we feel the shadows deepen? Yes. But do we know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Yes, we do. Do we wish that we could see it all made new? We do. And we are, right? Because we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We are seeing it all made new right now. And the answer, of course, in this song is that, yes, there is someone who is worthy, right? It is Jesus Christ, David's root, the lamb. He is worthy. The Lion of Judah, he is worthy. It's too easy to get cynical. Too many people have said enough with the Christian faith because they can't reconcile what their eyes see when they look out into this sin-scarred world with what they read in the text. We have to be able to wrestle with this tension. There has always been for the people of God this simultaneous reality of life in a fallen world and this desire to depart and to be with the Lord. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 5 when he said, for in this tent, right, talking about our bodies, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, right? We, we look forward to our resurrected bodies. We want to be done with the pain. We want to be done with the tears. We want to be done seeing friends and family members hurting and dying. He says that we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. If you're a Christian today, you need to feel this tension, right? Being at home in this world and saying, oh, everything's good, man. My, you know, I'm in great shape. I'm in the prime of my life. Things are good. Just wait, okay? And other people are laughing at me going, oh, you just wait. <laughs> but we should feel this tension. And what is Paul's answer to this? His answer, which cannot just become some trite response, is that we walk by faith and not by sight. This is the same mindset of Abraham and the patriarchs 
in Hebrews chapter 11, right? When it said that they were aliens and strangers, that on this earth they had no lasting city, that they were looking forward to a city prepared by God. Another great example of this occurs in the book of Daniel. Daniel and the people of God were exiled in Babylon, and things were looking pretty bleak. In Daniel, there's this constant refrain about God's unshakable kingdom, especially in chapter 7, that magnificent passage where Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Pay attention to this last section. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This son of man who Daniel saw in this vision is the Jesus we worship today. The one who Daniel and the exiled people of God really believed would reign forever in an unshakable kingdom. They looked forward in faith when everything around them told them the opposite. We today look back and we look to the present and we look to the future in all directions by faith at the unshakable kingdom that Christ has established by conquering sin and death and Satan through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. This is our only hope. And we can't let ourselves get tired of hearing about this. We can't tune out. We can't stop singing about it and praying about it. We can't stop saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a forward-looking prayer that we need to constantly have on our lips. And that's been the whole message of Hebrews. Don't quit. Don't quit now. Don't throw in the towel and exit the race early. Finish strong. Family and friends of James and Lexi who are gathered here today to celebrate what God has done in and through them. Livingstone Church, as we likewise celebrate what God has done, and we look forward to what he will continue to do in us and through us. Let us all see with open eyes Jesus, our King, and his unshakable kingdom. This isn't about me or James today. If you're looking to us, you're looking to the wrong person. So here's my commencement speech. Don't look to us or to your elders. We will only disappoint you. We can't change your lives because we aren't your saviors. Look to the only one who will never disappoint you and the only one who can change you. That's my commencement speech, okay? This is our author's commencement speech. Run the race with endurance. Look to Jesus and listen to God speaking through him, your prophet, priest, and king. Give thanks and worship him for the unshakable kingdom that is already yours in Christ. Jesus is the overcomer. Jesus is the world changer. And if we are any of these things in any way, shape, or form, 
It's not because we are great, but it's because we are in him. So why, dear ones, would we look to or run to anyone or anything else? Jesus is better. Say it with me. Jesus is better. Amen. Let us pray. God, as we wrap up this journey in Hebrews, we recognize that we're not really finishing anything. We're really just getting started. We're continuing on to what you have called us to do. God, you are so good. You are so faithful. You have carried us. You have provided in so many ways for us. God, even now as we turn to the ordination of James, as we celebrate and as we praise you for all that you have done, continue to remind us this is all about you. This is about your glory. This is about your kingdom. God, we are your servants. We're not seeking any glory for ourselves. And God, I pray then that you would send us out from here to be your ambassadors, to call those who are off course and not running the race, to get on the track, to get on the Jesus track and to begin running the race of life the way that you intended. God, give us compassion for those who are far from you. Give us wisdom to know how to engage even as we go into this summer with an emphasis on evangelism. May it not just be information from books. May it not just be gathering together and being comfortable, but may you challenge us, all of us, not just people from Livingstone, all of us, to engage with those who don't know you, to be salt and light as you've called us to be, to live our lives in such a way that people look at us and say, yes, Jesus is better. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.